Jesus. Next term we'll consider the majesty of Jesus, his divinity. But this term we're considering the humanity. And today, uh, particularly in the humanity of Jesus, we consider the role of the table and the role that it played in Jesus' life and ministry. We're going to spend some time, if you will, dining with Jesus. Now, this story that we just heard read to us and then saw visually uh, from Matthew 9, 9 to 13 is told in all three synoptic gospels. You'll also find the same story in Mark and Luke. And Mark and particularly Luke give us some extra or additional details that um, help fill out the story a little bit more. In Mark and Luke's account, however, um, the person who is referred to as Matthew in Matthew's gospel is Levi. So if you were to read the same story in Mark and Luke, you would recognise that the name is Levi, which wasn't uncommon in first century times for people to have a double name. In Acts, for example, we come across Joseph Barnabas. Um, so there's no real sort of conflict there. When we study this story, there's a number of twos I've discovered. There's two individuals who are named. There's Jesus and Matthew. There's two different groups of people. There are the tax collectors and sinners who kind of get lumped together, and there's the Pharisees, two groups of people. There are two questions. There's a question that Jesus asks of Matthew, follow me, and there's a question that the Pharisees ask of Jesus to his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. And there are two responses. We see Matthew's positive response to Jesus. He leaves behind his tax collecting life and follows Jesus. The response of the Pharisees, however, is one of judgment and almost condemnation towards Jesus. Two very different responses to the person of Christ. And when we read the Gospels, we are the, the writer of the Gospels is often leaving us with an opportunity to respond. Do we respond to Jesus positively? Do we see him as Lord and Saviour and choose to follow him? Or do we become critical and condemning and stand with the Pharisees? But at the very heart of this story, there is a table. A table where Jesus eats with those who are called tax collectors and sinners. A very unlikely place for a highly religious person. A person who is becoming very well known as an acclaimed teacher, as one who taught in the synagogues, as one who was a miracle worker, a healer. Such a man of God would not normally associate himself with tax collectors and sinners. But in Jesus, we see somebody who does. Our God sits at the table. And the table is such a fundamental, uh, it plays such a fundamental role in our survival. Obviously, the table is the place where we eat. 
Uh, unlike any other created being or animal or creature, it is only people, it's only human beings that actually sit down to a table to share their meal. To sit at a table is a uniquely human thing to do. And what it demonstrates is that there is a lot more to food than just fueling our bodies. You see, the table is a place of connection. The table is a place of story. It's a place of relationship. It's a place of inclusion. When you sit at somebody's table, they are in a sense saying, you are welcome. You'll also note that at a table, everybody is equal. We're all sort of sitting together. And we find that at the, ministry, the life and the ministry of Jesus, he was often found at tables. In fact, Jesus even developed a reputation as being a glutton and a drunkard because of the company he kept. Jesus spent lots of time eating at the tables of disreputable people. And in so doing, he became known as this drunkard and as a friend of sinners. What we see in the person of Jesus is somebody who was always with the people. He never set himself apart from the people. You see, to reach people, you have to be with them. And what we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus was always with people because he was for the people. You know, Matthew starts his gospel by telling us one of the names that Jesus will be given is Emmanuel, God with us. And then we see Jesus as a man at the table, communing with all different types of people, demonstrating meal, meal over meal, mouth bite and sip after sip and chew. I am with you. (laughs) I am for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, as Matthew finishes his gospel. Let's walk through this morning's passage and see what we can learn from this encounter. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I must confess that many times in the past, when I've read this account... I've been astonished and astounded at the immediacy of Matthew's response to Jesus. Uh, Luke writes in his account that Matthew left everything behind. Uh, There's a sense that he just kind of gets up and follows Jesus, which is what he does. It might give the impression that Jesus was a total stranger to Matthew, that Matthew didn't really know a whole lot about Jesus, but that would be an incorrect reading of this story. You see, if we just go back a little bit earlier in Matthew's gospel, we read that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having sieges, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. You see, Jesus was becoming very, very well-known. He was becoming very popular, and he had quite a following. And it's, of course, very likely that Matthew indeed knew who Jesus was. But as a tax collector, somebody who was despised by the Jews because they collaborated with the Romans. You see, the Romans would employ local people in these villages to collect the taxes for the Romans. But Matthew himself was a Jew. So in the eyes of the Jews, he was someone who was first and foremost a traitor. He was working, in a sense, for the enemy. And the presence of a tax collector was a constant and vivid reminder of the oppression of Rome for the local community. But not only did they work for, in a sense, the, the, uh, the oppressor, the Roman government, but they also had a reputation for, um, for lining their own pockets, for collecting more taxes than they were were meant to uh, for their own benefit. So they were extortionists or they were people who were corrupt. They were certainly people who the religious of the day had nothing to do with because they were considered to be uh, very sinful, very greedy people. So it's not so much that Matthew wasn't aware of who Jesus was. the, The bigger shock in the story is that Jesus would in fact approach a person like Matthew. When Jesus came to Matthew's tax collecting booth, which by the way was a little bit like a customs desk, or uh, you know, I remember the days when I used to sit in mum and dad's car, we would come up to Sydney and you'd literally pay cash at one of the tolls and there was a person, a human, who sat in that toll booth collecting your coins to actually proceed past. It is that kind of idea. Uh, Matthew was someone who was collecting taxes for the Roman government. He could have been collecting taxes for all of the goods that came across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so that's kind of the, the job that he had. Now, it was actually, for him, quite a secure place of employment. And often tax collectors were people of great means. They had a lot of money. Um, and they tended to hang out together, and we see that in the story as well. Now, it would have been an incredible surprise for Jesus to approach Matthew with these two words, follow me. It's important for us to understand the way that rabbis and discipleship worked in the first century. It's with Jesus, he reverses things. What would ordinarily happen is a student or a budding disciple would in fact approach a rabbi and they would approach a rabbi based on his knowledge of the Torah. The more knowledgeable the rabbi was of the Torah, the more sought after they were as a rabbi. The student would ask the rabbi if he could become a disciple. 
Now, that was, and if the rabbi agreed, then he would put the disciple through a rigorous period of apprenticeship or learning. And the goal of the disciple was one day to, in fact, become their own rabbi. With Jesus, however, we see a total reversal. Jesus approaches those and invites them to become his disciples. Jesus looks beyond the reputation of a person and sees their heart. And that's what he does with Matthew. He sees something within Matthew of a humility and a willingness to learn and follow. Notwithstanding Matthew's skill as a writer that he would have had to be a tax collector. And in fact, he puts those skills to very good use and wrote the gospel to which we are reading from today. Throughout this story, Matthew, the author of his own testimony, if you will, remains entirely mute. We don't ever hear a word from his mouth. But what we do see is decisive, immediate action to leave behind his old life and venture forward with Jesus to a new life. Whilst it was an old life, the life that Matthew had was certainly one of financial security and stability. To follow Jesus meant leaving behind his source of income. Who knows what the future will hold when Matthew leaves tax collecting to follow Jesus? Um, Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus issuing the same invitation, follow me, to Simon and Andrew and James and John, two sets of brothers, both fishermen. And Jesus invites them to follow him in their place of vocation or employment, just as he does with Matthew. To those other disciples, he adds Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He puts a twist on their vocation. Uh, With Matthew, we don't have that extra follow me and I will make you. But I wonder if Jesus hinted to Matthew that there were some skills and some gifts that he had that Jesus could see could be put to good use. Matthew left behind his old life and followed Jesus towards a new life. Jesus continues to offer that very same invitation to follow me, to leave behind your former way of life and to journey into a new way of life with Jesus as your rabbi. Are you prepared to become his disciple and learn his way of life? If you are, you will make a wonderful life-changing decision. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. In Matthew's account, we don't quite grasp the significance of this gathering. However, Luke, in Luke we do. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It would seem from particularly Luke's account that Matthew actually was so transformed by leaving behind his old life and stepping into his new life with Jesus that he wanted to throw a banquet, a celebration to give thanks for his new way of life 
but also to welcome and invite all of his friends so that they could meet and get to know Jesus. Matthew left behind his former ways, but he didn't leave behind his former friends. In fact, he invited them to come and meet this wonderful saviour who had transformed his life. I wonder with the hope and expectation that perhaps as others met and encountered Jesus, they too might encounter a new life. The table, particularly in Middle Eastern culture and in Jesus' time, um, there were all kinds of different rules and regulations um, around who you ate with. Uh, you didn't just eat with anyone. You would eat with people of your own kind of class, if you will. And as I mentioned earlier, certainly a, a rabbinical teacher would not eat with those who were called tax collectors and sinners. Now, that word sinner generally means it can mean Gentiles. Um, it can mean those who do not follow the ways of God um, outlaid in the Torah. It could mean those who, who don't go to the temple and therefore aren't purified and clean. It would include immoral people, people like, like prostitutes. And we see tax collectors being kind of lumped into that kind of phrase of these two people together. And it is at this place in this story that we find Jesus sharing in this meal. And God is at the table. It's a profound thing. You see, the table is a place of relationship, a table, a place of friendship. And that immediately says to us that what God is interested in is relationship and friendship. And a table is a place, and we see particularly at this table, it was a table of celebration. It was a table of enjoyment. And oftentimes, tables can be places of leisure where we just enjoy getting to know one another and enjoy good food and connection. What this communicates to us is this is the heart of our God, is to enjoy being with us and for us to enjoy being with one another. God at the table is a place of inclusion. As I mentioned earlier, the table is a wonderful place where you feel welcome and included. It's a place where we receive grace. It's a place where we exchange stories, where we listen and where we can be heard. Surprisingly, sharing a table with people is one of the most missional places that we can find ourselves at. How wonderful that we serve a God who focuses and prioritises being with people in relationship, in an enjoyable and open space. What we see from this story is that open tables can in fact open hearts. And open hearts can change lives. The table was a central place to the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in fact, it ought to be a central and primary place for all those who seek to follow him. In this story, we also see the condemnation, the negative spirit of the Pharisees. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All of a sudden, we've transformed, we've moved from the tax booth to the banqueting table. We now find ourselves in the hospital with a doctor and a patient. And when you just pause and think about the role of a doctor with a patient and tease out this illustration that Jesus offers, it's quite a fascinating one. You see, a doctor is a trained professional who knows a whole lot more about your body than you or I do. We, in fact, have to put a great deal of trust in a doctor. If you go and see a doctor because there's something wrong, you put your trust in that doctor. It's a very similar thing to our sin. There is all kinds of... There there is sinfulness in our lives... There are sins that we are unaware of, but there are also sins that we are aware of. And we we can't fix or solve that problem. No amount of good works is going to make us right with God. But the invitation is to simply make an appointment with the doctor and actually trust the doctor because the doctor knows you better than you know yourself. Doctors bring health and healing to those who are sick and suffering. And in this passage, Jesus is in fact likening himself to a doctor. And he is likening those who are sinners or far from God as those who are sick. The reality of life for all of us is that we will get sick at times and we will inevitably need to go and see a doctor. Now, If we find ourselves sick, which all of us will, there is a a role that we need to play. We, in fact, have to make a doctor's appointment. We have to intentionally go and see the doctor. If you wake up one morning and find yourself sick, the doctor is not just going to automatically come to your place. You need to pick up the phone and make an appointment. And when you go to that appointment, you might explain to the doctor... You will try and describe whatever the symptoms are that are making you feel unwell. And during that consultation, you trust that the doctor will hopefully be able to diagnose what the issue is and ideally give you the correct medicine or put you on a particular course of antibiotics or whatever it might be. You might need to have a procedure that's going to bring health and wholeness and healing to you. Jesus puts himself in the role of a doctor and us as sinners, as patients, we have to humble ourselves as a patient to say, there's something wrong with me. And what we read in this passage is that if we can humble ourselves enough to simply say to Jesus, there's something wrong with me, I'm a sinner, then the doctor can get to work and bring about wholeness and healing. Obviously, the Pharisees can't see their own spiritual sickness. And the thing that is keeping them, and often the thing that keeps people from seeing a doctor, is pride. Oftentimes, people even know that there's something wrong, 
but we just carry on anyway, thinking that if we just ignore the problem, eventually it will go away. A lot of people live this same way, this same attitude with sin. I'm just going to ignore it. But the problem is, it doesn't go away. And the Bible teaches that there is going to be a final day of judgment when everyone will have to stand and give an account. And will Jesus have be, if Jesus has been our physician, that great problem has been dealt with. But if he is not our physician, then we face eternal separation from God. Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6 by saying, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I'm reminded of Micah 6.8, which has a very similar sentiment. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, mercy is first and foremost an inner state of heart. To love mercy is to be a person who has great compassion toward others. And the Bible says, and Jesus says, I want you to have mercy, to love mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is actually a statement or a question of character. Mercy is about who you are. If you are a person who has a compassionate and a loving heart, then you're going to reflect the heart of God. You know, sacrifice is all well and good. And the Pharisees were great at making sacrifices. They knew the sacrifices that were required by the law and they were good at obeying them, but they completely missed the point because God is far more concerned with who you are, your heart, than what you do. And we've spoken many, many times about the fact that if the heart, if the thoughts are addressed correctly, well, then the behaviour and the lifestyle will follow. If we only ever try and work on the sacrifice or the habits or the lifestyle or the behaviour, we'll never get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the heart of the person. And that is what Jesus and God are always first and foremost concerned with. Some final thoughts on Matthew 9, 9 to 13. The invitation is to follow Jesus. For all people, Jesus continues to extend that invitation to this very day. Do you find yourself in a way of life that is unbecoming of a follower of Jesus? The invitation is simply, come and share a meal with me. Come and follow me and I will show you the best way to live. God's desire for each of us is to become the best version of ourselves and the best version of ourselves is the Christ-like version because Christ was the perfect human. He lived a perfect life without sin. Jesus became a man. He became a person so he, he could model for us what it is to live the very best version of a human life. And it is a life of great love for other people. Secondly, we need to trust the doctor. You know, Jesus has no waiting list. You can make an appointment with him anytime and he will be available to see you. And there's always going to be some work that he will want to do in our hearts and our lives. 
It's an ongoing process. You don't go and see the doctor once and get fixed for life. For there are a number of us over the period of our lifetime, we will see the doctor many, many times. I know Bron feels like she's going to the doctor between the three boys and herself, oftentimes many times <laughs> in a week. You see, we just go back to the doctor and she's seeing a lovely doctor and the doctor's always so welcoming and pleased to see her. He's happy to help and it makes her feel so much easier to go and see him. You know, when we go to the great spiritual doctor, we never need to feel ashamed or embarrassed because he already knows whatever it is that's caused us to find ourselves at his service. He is just so delighted that we have made the appointment to come and see him. This, ta- this passage affirms for us the central role of the table in the life of Jesus and the significant role that the table can play in our lives as we share tables with one another, as we share tables with friends, as we just do life together. And through doing life together, we can witness the great love of Christ. And finally, in the words of Jesus, the call is to be a person of mercy, to cultivate a heart of compassion towards others. That is what is pleasing to God. It's far more pleasing to God than ticking all the religious boxes that we so often get concerned about ticking. God is far more interested in who you are and how you treat other people than in what you do. This is God's word to us today. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to hear from your word today. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and active and continually pointing us to the person of Christ. We thank you for the wonderful example that Jesus set during his time here on earth, how he spent so much time at people's tables sharing in the everyday, common, basic, fundamental thing of life, eating a meal and doing so in a spirit of love and friendship. Lord Jesus, you are the great physician and thank you that you can bring complete spiritual healing to all who would come to you and recognise that there is something wrong that only you and you alone can rectify. Lord, may we be a people who can let go of pride, who can easily and readily admit our sinfulness, accept your mercy and grace, and then in turn be a people of mercy and grace to others. For your name's sake. Amen. Amen.